Back in the day when my girls were born, it was not easy to share photos and videos with loved ones, but you have a fantastic option available, the Family Album app. The Family Album app was created in 2015 and has operated in the long term to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with loved ones. It's a totally secure personal haven for your family's memories. I love that there's no third-party ads, no unwanted eyes. Now, let me share some of the great features that make the Family Album app a go-to app. First off, the app automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and see how your child has grown. No more scrolling through endless feeds or searching through folders. Another cool feature about the Family Album app is you can order eight free photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. It's really nice to have some tangible pictures to hold onto or share to document each month of your baby's life. Plus, the Family Album app has unlimited storage and it is totally free. Yes, you heard that right. No more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by ads when you're just trying to relive those heartwarming moments. So if you are still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, it is time to level up your family photo game with a free photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, it's all one word, download the app and start creating a legacy of love one photo at a time. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician approved skin protectant free of dyes, preservatives and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through and keeping their delicate skin happy and healthy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick, goopy treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable as the diaper rash itself. Use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel good about making the right choice. Dr. Mom is committed to providing an ultra premium formula for moms who will not settle when it comes to their little ones. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with simple quality ingredients, no artificial dyes or preservatives, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Head to Amazon.com or Walmart.com to grab Dr. Mom Butt Balm because nothing comes between you and your baby, especially not diaper rash. I am so excited to have Jen McClellan from Plus Mommy and Plus Size Birth on the podcast. Welcome to the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. I'm Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins, a practicing board-certified OBGYN who's had the privilege of helping hundreds of moms bring their babies into this world. I'm here to help you be knowledgeable, prepared, confident, and empowered to have a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Quick note, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. Check out the full disclaimer at ncrcoaching.com forward slash disclaimer. Now let's get to it. 
Hello, welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is episode number 79. I'm so glad you're here spending some of your time with me today. So I am really excited about today's episode. I have Jen McClellan on. Jen is a certified childbirth educator, a wife and mother to a charismatic nine-year-old, almost 10-year-old. She's the host of the Plus Mommy podcast, a published author, speaker, and founder of Plus Size Birth, the premier resource for all things plus size pregnancy. With over 5 million page views on her blog, 26,000 followers on Instagram, and 180,000 followers on Facebook, Jen is passionate about plus size pregnancy, body love, and navigating the bumps along the road of parenthood. She has been featured in People, Good Morning America, Glamour, The Bump, Parents, Today, Romper, Pop Sugar, just to name a few. Now, I asked Jen to come onto the show because I did an episode of the podcast called The Truth About Obesity and Pregnancy. It was episode number 40, and I feel like I screwed it up a bit. I feel like I focused too much on the risk associated with weight and pregnancy and not enough on how to have a healthy pregnancy, even if you are a person of size. So this episode is just as much about me learning how to be a better provider as it is for you. So in this episode, Jen shares her thoughts on terminology around having a plus size pregnancy, misconceptions about a plus size pregnancy, tips to have the best pregnancy and birth when you are plus size, what is a size friendly provider, how to know how to find one. She gives me some tips as a provider on things that I should know about caring for plus size women. And then she talks about this really cool initiative that she was involved in with the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, something called Pregnancy for Everybody. Now, let me tell you what, Jen really knows her stuff. And you're going to learn a lot from this episode, whether you are plus size or not. But before we get into the episode, I have a quick question for you. Have you made your birth plan yet? Your birth plan is a great way to communicate your wishes for your birth. You know that your voice and your birth matters and you need to get informed so you can make solid decisions about your birth experience. So check out my free online class, How to Make a Birth Plan That Works in order to do just that. It's one hour, it's on demand. Um, Women love this class. In it, you'll learn two factors that have the greatest impact on your hospital birth experience and how you navigate those two important factors. You learn how to approach making a birth plan. So even if things don't go exactly as you plan, because birth is an unpredictable process, you are in control as much as you can be during your birth experience. You get eight questions that you must ask your doctor before you write a single word of your birth plan so that you are knowledgeable and empowered. And then you also learn how to get your doctors and nurses to respect your wishes and pay attention to your birth plan. You can check that class out again. It's totally free. ncrcoaching.com forward slash register. All right, let's get into the episode with Jen McClellan. so much, Jen, for agreeing to come on the podcast. I'm really excited to have you here today. 
I'm so honored. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So why don't you start off by telling us a bit about yourself and your work and your family, if you'd like. Sure. I am a certified childbirth educator and a consumer advocate for people of size during pregnancy. And I got into this work because I found myself plus size and pregnant in 2010. And I went on to Google. I think a lot of people nowadays Mm -hmm. go on to Google (laughs) after after finding out we're pregnant. Um, Only when you're a person of size and pregnant, things look differently. And when I went online, I really struggled to find any positive information. I read that I would have gestational diabetes. I would have a cesarean birth. And because of the comment sections, I read some kind of hurtful things that I you know, shouldn't even get pregnant because I'm fat and shouldn't be a mother. And it was so disheartening, but I had always existed in a larger body and I worked really hard to have a healthy pregnancy and to connect with a great care provider. And I had a completely healthy pregnancy, gave birth on my knees in a hospital at nearly 300 pounds. And it, it changed everything for me. And a few months after my son was born, I just felt called to share my story. I wanted to see images of people plus size and pregnant celebrating their bodies and have helpful information on how to have a healthy pregnancy as a person of size, where to even find maternity clothes that would fit my body, having no idea at the time what it was to blog or be a blogger. I mean, I I had a whole different career and it just exploded in in, in that time. And it has now been my life's work and passion for the past nine years. And you are very um, serious about your work. Not that you need me to tell you that, but I've listened to your podcast and you know what you're talking about. (laughs) It's obvious that you you. stay up to date on things. You are in the know. You, You know what you're talking about. This isn't like a little side sort of thing. It's clear that you're very serious and passionate about this work. Yes. I mean, I was just a mom with a blog and then realized as it exploded that I had a responsibility that I had started to amplify a conversation and I needed to become educated on the topic. And that's why I became certified as a childbirth educator and attend continuing education courses all the time and have had my work validated by major organizations like National Institutes of Health and to me and and been quoted in the New York Times. And to me, that's been a validation that my work is legitimate. You can be a, a lay individual whose life is forever changed and then become an expert in something. And it's been years of hard work, but I think it's a really important conversation and I'm not afraid to talk about increased risk and your things that I know we're going to talk about because I think it's I think it's really important that we talk about plus size pregnancy with evidence and compassion and we support people and empower them to have healthy outcomes and that's what you as a care provider wants and that's what me as someone who's been pregnant wants too so we both want the same thing yes yes absolutely absolutely so let's go ahead and get into it you said you're not afraid to tackle some of the harder topics let's just get what I find to be one of the most difficult topics what are your thoughts on terminology and I know obviously you can't speak for every person of size. It would be like 
me trying to speak for every black person or every, you know, like yeah. we, we can't speak for whole populations, but in general, sort of like, what are thoughts of plus size versus fat versus obese or overweight? Like what are thoughts on terminology? Sure. I think when we talk about terminology for anything, it, we need to listen to the language people use when they talk about their own body. I think that that's first and foremost really important. I did a survey a couple years ago of 100 people asking them about terminology and what they preferred and what they didn't. And I listed all the things, right, from plus size to chubby to, you know, right. all the full figured and obese. And of that 100, only two people said that they were comfortable being called obese. Okay, And that's something I hear across the board is, you know, obese is a medical term that's commonly used when you went to medical school and is used in today's medical world, but it's not a word that most people of size feel comfortable with. And out of everything on that survey, the majority of people said they were comfortable with plus size. And so that's kind of the language that I've used within my work. I often use people of size, people in a larger body, but at the end of the day, even though I've been doing this work forever, I would never walk up to someone who I view as plus size and pregnant at the grocery store and be like, hi, I'm Jen. I have this podcast. Plus size. Here's my card. Because I don't know that that person self-identifies as plus size. Is, is that different for you as a care provider with the BMI chart? And we know how people are classified. You know if your patient is overweight or obese. Absolutely. But but when we're talking to people on a one-to-one -one level, I, I really think it's important that we meet people where they're at and use the language that they're using to talk about their bodies. And, and again, when that is between a patient and a care provider, that can be a little different because there are absolutely conversations that you need to have with your patients of size that is directly related to their BMI. Uh, okay, I love that because, and, and that's probably like, just in general about how we should approach how we talk about people, like use the language that people use about themselves. Yeah. Like you have a patient that's over 35. You're not going to be like, hello, Susie. So you're geriatric. Right. I mean, it's just not the language. <laughs> well, that's medical language. Absolutely. And on Susie's chart, Susie's a geriatric patient. Like you're not going to be like, well, you know, since you're geriatric, no, you're going to say, you know, because you're over the age of 35 and with a patient of size, you could say, you know, because you exist in a larger body, there are certain things that we're going to do together to help you have a healthy outcome or as best outcome we can for you and your baby. And that's just as important to you as it is to me. And using the word obese doesn't, it's not like I'm saying something, I don't know, it's not like I'm providing some new insight or information. People know their weight, they know their size. It's not like, um, yes. you know what I'm saying? Like I'm divulging something that's a secret. Like it, it, people know their bodies, so. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that, love that a lot. So how about we talk about what are some misconceptions about having a plus size pregnancy? There's this clear belief and it's been you know open up the internet and google still to this day all these years later my kid is about to turn 10 
there's this belief that because you exist in a larger body, you will automatically incur risk, that you will, it's inevitably gestational diabetes is the one that is said, that you will have gestational diabetes. And yes, there are increased risks. And yes, the higher your BMI, the greater the increased risk. And I actually just updated my book, the My Plus Size Pregnancy Guide, and I had a, a researcher go through and look at some new studies and, and what is the evidence-based information around increased risk like gestational diabetes. And we're looking at about a 17% increased risk. And so to me, how I encourage people to look at that is, yes, you have an increased risk. But there's a lot you can do with nutrition and physical activity and working with a size-friendly care provider to help reduce your risk. And when we look at that 17% increased risk, we can also say that you have about an 83% chance of not developing gestational diabetes. And here's how I can support you even further to reduce your risk. And to me, it's just about how the conversation takes place instead of making people feel ashamed we make people feel empowered to make healthy decision making this is so great uh, have you ever been accused of because i wonder if people accuse you of saying like you're trying to ignore the risk associated with being a person of size and pregnant and that is like not the case at all yeah i mean i not by professionals, but absolutely by trolls on the internet. I get hate mail and horrible things said all the time, right? And and to me, it's just like, I've never been afraid of the evidence. My career before this was working in end-of-life healthcare advocacy. Like, evidence-based information is so important. <laughs> like, I, as a person who's been pregnant, wanted to know what my increased risks were so I could do everything possible to have a healthy outcome. I think knowledge is power. It's how that information is disseminated to people. It's how we talk about it that is so incredibly important. And that's what makes the difference. Because when we look at studies, we can see that when people of size are made to feel badly about themselves and their bodies, they are less likely to receive routine medical care and more likely to gain weight. So I say this time and time again when I speak at conferences, it was not that long ago in Utah at a labor and delivery nursing conference, and I said, shame is not an effective tool. We have studies to show that shaming patients, we know we're plus size, we have lived our whole lives in a body that gets treated differently by society and absolutely by the medical community. And I, I've said this time and time again that, you know, at the age of 30, when I was pregnant, my midwife was the first care provider to ever touch my body with compassion. Oh, wow. And that, that changed everything for me. And she empowered me to be even more healthy with my pregnancy and to believe in my body in ways that I had up until that point, every single doctor's office was so focused on the number and the size of my body and not conversations about nutrition that I had with my hospital-based midwifery practice than I had ever had with a doctor in my whole life. Mm. Wow, wow, wow. 
As an OBGYN and podcast host, I'm excited to share a resource that empowers mothers and mothers-to-be in managing their pelvic floor and core health. It's called Informed Pregnancy Plus, and it offers access to essential workshops that can significantly enhance your understanding and care of your body during and after pregnancy. Discover the Core Connection, a foundational five-episode series by Natalie Headings, a pre-postnatal exercise specialist. This series covers the basics of pelvic floor health, teaches key postural adjustments, and shows you how to activate your core properly. For a more comprehensive experience, check out Mindful Movement. This premium series provides in-depth content, including practical exercises and personalized strategies to strengthen your body. It's like having a pelvic health expert in your home. You can try the full subscription streaming library of Informed Pregnancy Plus absolutely free. Visit informedpregnancy.tv to start an empowered journey toward a healthier motherhood. Take this step for your health, your body, and your baby will thank you. And just even like how you say the perspective, and I and I will admit a big reason why I wanted to have you on this episode is this is something that I know that I have gotten wrong as a provider. I I think that I have not done um, a good enough job of caring for women and providing the appropriate compassion and perspective and things. So this is um, as much about me learning as it is giving information to our audience. And I think the fact that you said like, people see, okay, it's a 17% increased risk, but what about that flip side number that's so much higher and the most likely thing is that you're not going to get it? Yeah. And it means so much to me that you say that and you want to have this conversation because we all have our own biases, right? Like clearly we all have our own biases. (laughs) Right, right. And, but when we go to see a healthcare provider, we're, we're expecting evidence-based compassionate care, that is an expectation. And that is not often met when you're a person of size or a person of color or a black person. Like there are so many instances where people aren't getting the care that they should be getting. And as you said in your recent podcast episode, it directly impacts the black community with the, you know, mortality rates for women and babies. And we we have to have these really important, difficult conversations because we have to create change. Absolutely, 100%. So when a woman who is um, a plus size is pregnant, what are some things that she can do in order to have her very best pregnancy and birth experience? What are your top three or four tips? Sure. So the first two are going to come of no surprise because they're for people in every body, right? We want people to be proactive with being physically active, moving their body. I often talk about water aerobics as being this amazing way to tune into your body and your baby and finding something that you can do routinely. Going for walks, starting a walking group, uh, you know, with friends, if, if we're working in an office or, you know, or at friends, socially distancing appropriately in a park, you know, it, it just, you need to find something that will be a routine activity that is enjoyable and feels good because we know the importance of being physically active. And then the second thing is nutrition. We also know how approaching food in a maybe different way than for people who have existed in a larger body that have been so 
focused on dieting. And I want to be clear, I'm not saying that everyone is, but for many people that exist in a larger body, they have spent their lives cycling up. So we know that dieting doesn't work and that 96% of diets fail and you end up regaining all of the weight you lost plus more weight. And so pregnancy is this incredible opportunity to change your relationship with food and to look into intuitive eating, which means listening to the cues that we are all born with and know when our body tells us, I'm hungry, I'm full, and then working with your care provider and working with a nutritionist. You know, ACOG recommends that people with a higher BMI work with the nutritionist. And I recommend that too, because I found in my own life, working with a nutritionist taught me, like, I thought I knew it all. I've spent my whole life dieting, but that's, that's not the way that we need to be fueling and feeding and loving our bodies. We need to learn a different way about food. And, and what I found is I feed my son's so much different than I fed myself before I was pregnant. And, and there's something beautiful about that. And we worry so much about this obesity crisis. And I, I said this at the National Institutes of Health when I spoke, like, if we worked with people of size with compassion and talked about nutrition, and intuitive eating and changing relationships with food, that will be carried down to generations. And we empower people to love their bodies and take care of their bodies and nourish and nurture their bodies. That is the lessons that I teach my son. And I'm no longer ashamed of food or sneaking food. I mean, kids see it all, they know it all. So those two things are so important. And obviously vitamins and water and you know, we could go on and on. But the, the main difference for people of size, the third key that I really focus a huge majority of my work around is connecting with a size-friendly care provider. Whether you have a vaginal birth or emergency cesarean birth, out of all the years doing this work, speaking to thousands upon thousands of people of size, the difference wasn't how that birth outcome was, it was how they were treated mm. during it. Gotcha. Gotcha. So let's get into more detail then about what a size friendly care provider is. What does that look like? What does that mean? Absolutely. So I define a size friendly care provider as what we've already mentioned, a care provider who provides evidence-based compassionate care. And we can break that down a little bit by saying, you know, it's a care provider that is aware of their personal bias. Like you even mentioned, like, you know, you've you've had sometimes in the instance in the past where you realize, well, maybe I, you know, brought my size bias into it. So being aware and working through their own bias. And there's some resources I can provide to you to put in the show notes for care providers to address their own bias, but it has a lot to do with, do I make assumptions about a person's nutrition based clearly upon their size and nothing else? And I can tell you so often, I hear from women who say, you know, I, I went into my care provider's office having a, you know, a water bottle that you can't see through and them saying, you know, you really need to cut out your Pepsi habit. And I'm drinking water and I don't even, I don't even like syrupy soda, but they just, assumed. And so the minute we make assumptions about someone's body, 
often as a patient, we're no longer going to listen to what a care provider has to say because you're making me feel uncomfortable and that's where the brick wall goes up and we don't move forward together. And we really need to move forward together because we're both wanting the best interest of you know, our patients and, and their babies. Sure, so it's sure. really important. Um, and compassionate, which I think is so important in maternity care, but all care, provides individualized care. Um, I unfortunately have heard so many stories from people who are told on their first prenatal care visit that they need to have a cesarean birth based only upon their BMI. And I'm like, where is this coming from? That ACOG doesn't state that. That's not even evidence-based. We know that there are greater increased risks for people of size for cesarean birth. Absolutely, cesarean births are necessary and save lives and are needed, but it shouldn't be the go-to for people of size. And and I, I can tell you that drives me insane when I hear yeah. people say that. It's like, like, please, like, don't we want the, when we know that a cesarean could be more complicated potentially, don't we want to like do everything we can for a vaginal birth? You know, that's yeah. best all around. So I, I have never quite understood that. And I think it's important to know when we're talking about people of size, you know, I think we so often think of the sensationalized TLC shows like 600 pounds and pregnant. No, according to the BMI, we're looking at 60% of women in their childbearing years in the United States are classified as overweight and obese. So I'm talking about women who are under 300 pounds telling me that their care provider is saying that they must have a cesarean birth. And it just uh, that's blows my mind. Yeah. Well, here, you want to hear something worse? Yeah. <laughs> People are also told that their vagina is too fat to birth their baby. Jen, please stop it. I know. Are you and serious? Oh, I'm 100% serious. And when, when people are like, Jen, I don't believe you. I'll do one posting. I'll do it. I'll do it after our talk today. I have a huge Facebook following and I can do one post and you will read story after story of people sharing the ways that they've been shamed by their care provider. But one of them that does come up often is that they are told that their vagina is too fat. So they must have a cesarean birth. And when I talk about this in front of, you know, hundreds of professionals, I walk them through it and say, how do you think this impacts not only this woman's views of her body for her birth, but also intimacy with her partner in the future, how she feels about her body in general, how she teaches her kids to love their body if she's been so distraught and told these things that are so emotionally harmful. And the flip side of that is there's no evidence. We do have slight increased risk for shoulder dystocia and soft tissue dystocia, but there's no evidence to show that someone's vagina can be so fat that they can't birth their baby. You know, there, there are other reasons why we might not be able to have a vaginal birth. Absolutely. But telling someone that their vagina is too fat. And I I hired the same researcher that I worked with recently and I said, will you please dig into this again? Because I just want to, like, this was a few years ago when I looked at the evidence and I was like, I just want to refute this with a final article that is like, care providers, oh stop saying this. It's so, so incredibly 
damaging to a person's life, not just their birth, not just that two minutes in a doctor's office. When I, I'm, I'm not lying. My we're, guys, we record like just audio and no video. But if you could see video, my mouth is literally hanging open right now. I, yeah. I am embarrassed for our whole profession that we would tell anybody that because it's so ludicrous and not based on anything. Right. And you know, as an OB that you might want to use a larger speculum for a person of size, it might be more comfortable for them. But you would probably want to use that same speculum for a patient that's had multiple births. Like our, our bodies change, our bodies are different. No, no vagina is the same. But just because I exist in a large body with a high BMI doesn't mean that I can't have a vaginal birth based only upon my weight. And whenever I talk, and I, it's inevitably also like midwives and home birth midwives that come running up to me afterwards and like, my my big moms are my best pushers. Like, where's this coming from? And, and it comes from bias. And it's really, really damaging. Very much so. Uh, that that absolutely 100% needs to stop. I mean, all of it needs to stop, but I've just, I've never heard that. And I'm just mortified that because it's just based on absolutely nothing. Oh my gosh. So are there some specific questions that you, that women can ask in order to ascertain whether or not a provider is size friendly? Sure. And I I wanted to add one more thing that I think is really important. Yeah. Um, I think it's really important that we don't classify people as high risk based only upon their BMI, because what happens is we limit their options in childbirth. We limit options to the midwifery model of care. We limit options to birth center birth. And there's been a lot of studies, especially in birth centers, looking at risk profiles and that if we do have someone with a high BMI that goes into pregnancy healthy with no high blood pressure, no signs of being pre-diabetic. You know, we do have healthy outcomes. And and that's really important to me. And every time ACOG gives their committee opinion on obesity and pregnancy, I, I always hold my breath. I'm fearful of the day where we do start saying that people based upon their BMI should be classified as high risk. Do I feel that additional testing is important, like around gestational diabetes? Absolutely. Do I feel that additional oversight is needed? Absolutely. But I also know when we look at the evidence that the majority of people of size that go into pregnancy healthy have healthy outcomes. And that's what we need to base this on and meet people where they're at with their pregnancy and provide them with individualized care. And that's how we can help to reduce the cesarean birth rate that is astronomical for people of size. We're looking at a BMI uh, over, sorry, I should have had these numbers right in front of me, but for someone with a BNI, I think it's like over 40, it's like almost 50%. And when you look at a BMI closer to 50 or 60, it's 80%. 80% of people have a cesarean birth and I believe that care provider bias plays a role in that number because we're not giving the opportunity for people who exist in much larger bodies to even attempt a vaginal birth. I agree 100%. And there's actually pretty good evidence that um, women of size, and forgive me, I'm still working on saying the best terms, but, no, um, but plus size women, women of size that um, labor may be longer and we need to get yes. more time. We need to be more patient. Yeah. I mean, it takes longer for 
oxytocin to course through our bodies. There are certain things that are just going to take longer. But yes, we have the evidence to show. And I definitely talk about that, that it's just going to be a little longer. And that's okay. I mean, fetal monitoring on a person of size is so much harder for labor and delivery nurses. Absolutely. But there are tricks and tips. And I've had interviews with labor and delivery nurses that have learned how to support people of size in just slightly different ways to get the monitoring that is so critically important, especially if someone's having a medicated birth. And and that's where it just comes to meeting people where they're at. Does it make it more difficult? Yes, yes, it does. But do we all want people to have healthy and empowered experiences? Yes, we want healthy outcomes. And it's just gonna look a little different when we support people of size. And thankfully, technology is advancing in some ways. And there are some monitors like the Monica wireless patch monitor that does help and works well with people of size. Works not perfect, but it works a little better than right. the straps that don't always work. So yeah, it, it's it's a lot of just meeting people where they're at with, with compassion. And that's the same thing we, we, I mean, we really have to do it for, for everyone. But I think that we, we have this bias where we physically look and see someone and it puts up this block or we are, you know, form these um, opinions that are completely, and for the most part, not supported. And it doesn't help that we live in a society, like the background of our society doesn't help either. No, it, it really doesn't. No. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you were asking about what are ways that people can connect with a size-friendly care provider. And yes. it also, this first piece really plays into how you can be uh, any care providers listening, size inclusive. And, and one way, when I give talks that I clearly show in one photo, if a provider or a massage therapist or a restaurant or any place really is size inclusive in one image, it's a chair. Hmm. So if a chair has arms, it isn't going to work for everyone. It isn't going to work for a lot of people of size. And so if I walk into a doctor's office, which I have, <laughs> and there's only all these small chairs with arms, what that tells me is I can't sit comfortably. I am not welcome here. I don't have a place to sit. I don't have a place to be. And so then that leads me to question, do you have a blood pressure cuff that will fit my body, which is often an adult size cuff, which if the wrong size blood pressure cuff is being used, that can be very dangerous and give people inaccurate results. Uh, will there be a, you know, if I need a larger speculum, which is pretty common, but I'm just saying like, what, what weight does the scale go up to? Will I be given options around weighing if weight is very triggering for me? You know, will I be treated and met with compassion? Will I be provided with a gown that will cover my body? Because if my body isn't covered, then I'm stripped of my dignity in in a moment where consent and respect is so incredibly important for exams and for care providers looking at and touching my body. So it is very important that we're aware of the needs that people of size have during pregnancy. And and actually, when you think about all these things, it makes it more comfortable for everyone. Absolutely. <laughs> And that, that's what's really important. There's not that many more things. I mean, yes, in a hospital birth setting, it depending upon the people, there, there might be more needs that are quite more expensive. But 
when we're talking about base prenatal care, we're looking at blood pressure cuffs, chairs without arms, uh, scales, gowns, that type of equipment. Gotcha. Yeah, those aren't things that are like terribly expensive or add additional cost at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and it looks like you can probably tell fairly early whether you feel like someone is going to be uh, a size friendly provider. And I'm guessing that if you, one of your biggest pieces of advice is if someone is not a size friendly provider, then keep looking until you find someone. Oh yeah. And I have a whole guide that people can download for free on my website. That's like 20 pages on how to connect with a size friendly care provider. So it walks them through starting with how do you even get names of people who might be size friendly? And I have um, a list of size friendly care providers. I need to make sure you're on that list. But um, but it, it's just a reference list where people have sent in names of care providers that treated them with compassion. So there's many a disclaimer to use your own sure. best judgment, but it's just a list and encouraging people to join local mom Facebook groups and asking in that group if you feel comfortable, hey, I'm plus size. Is anyone else plus size that has a care provider that they really liked? So if you're doing it locally, you know that you're going to find someone in your area. And and so narrowing down that list and, you know, I, I say, you know, we, we Google potential dates, you know, when you're dating, we need to Google our doctors and read reviews and, and do research and then ask questions, make observations and have a frank conversation with your care provider of, what is your experience working with people of size? And are you going to have any additional testing or guidelines that are important for me to know now on this first prenatal visit? Because I often hear stories of a bait and switch where care providers appear to be size friendly in the beginning. And then at the end, they start making like, okay, well, we're going to have to start testing every visit for gestational diabetes, even though you pass the three hour and, and just, or, you know, we really need to schedule this induction when there's no, no evidence-based signs that we need to be scheduling an induction and you just, things start to shift. So I think it's important to have frank and ominous conversations and then ultimately listening to your intuition and your gut. And then you can fire your care provider, switch models of care, switch and facilities, that's another really important thing is looking into the facility you're choosing to give birth or home or birth center. I mean, there's so much to it. But at the end of the day, yeah, it's really listening to your intuition. And is this care provider the right fit for you? We're paying a lot of money for these services. True story. <laughs> we owe it to ourselves to be our own best healthcare advocate because we're going to be that advocate for our kids. So why can't we do it for ourselves and model that behavior for our children? 100%. And we will for sure link to your website and everything in the show notes. That sounds like a really great guide for people to have. This episode is sponsored by ByHeart. ByHeart is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, ByHeart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. Their blend includes the most abundant protein found in breast milk, alpha-lac, 
as well as lactoferrin, the number one protein found in colostrum. In addition to its patented protein blend, their formula includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey to casein ratio like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system and makes it an easy-to-digest formula. Curious about Byheart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast with code Dr. Nicole for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. Okay, so I want to switch gears for a second. And although most of my audience is pregnant people or uh, or people within the birth space like doulas or childbirth educators, lactation consultants, I want to know some things that you want providers like me to know about caring for plus size women. And maybe you've said it before, but if you said it before, I think it's worth saying again. What are some <laughs> things that you want us as providers to know, and especially how to approach that conversation about, like you said, the realities of the increased risk. You do it so smoothly and like fluidly. So (laughs) what are some suggestions that you have? Sure. I mean, we've talked about so many things that I think are critically important. One of the things that's really important that we haven't talked about is relative risk versus actual risk. So relative risk is comparing one risk to another. And Rebecca from evidence-based birth, you know, has brought this up on my podcast Mm -hmm. and when I was on hers, but it's, it's so important that we're actually talking, especially to people of size about their actual risk. Because if we tell someone, you know, you are four times more likely. So I'll look at gestational diabetes. I pulled up that numbers for you. So you're four to five times more likely to develop gestational diabetes if you have, you know, a BMI over 40 versus someone with a BMI at around 25. So when I hear that I'm four to five times more likely in my head, I'm like, dun, dun, dun. like, oh, what's, what's the point? I'm just going to get it. And oh my gosh, and I'm, I'm so upset. And why did I even get pregnant? And then it's all this like doom and gloom. And it makes me feel really badly about myself. But if I'm empowered and told, you know, you have a 17, about a 17% chance of developing gestational diabetes, and I'm going to work with you to help reduce that risk even further, because we know with nutrition, um, it can really help to make a difference. And, you know, you have, like I said earlier, like over an 80% chance of not developing gestational diabetes and going from there. So it takes the same information. We're not beating around any type of, you know, tiptoeing around risk. We're saying, yes, there is an increased risk. However, let's work together to reduce that risk. And it's actually far less than society leads us to believe. And and that has been so frustrating to me. All these articles and, you know, it's the media, everything's sensationalized. They really only share the relative risk. And it is scary to hear that you're four to five times more likely. But when we look at, well, if the percentage is originally, you know, really low, and we we double that, <laughs> yeah, that's yep. going to sound high. But it's it's not. So if I, I'm looking at it right now, so if we look at someone with a BMI of, let's look at 25 to 30, they have a 6.7% chance of incurring gestational diabetes. Whereas someone with a BMI of 35 to 40 has a 13.2% and a BMI over 40 is 17. So when we look at and hear, oh, well, yeah, six times two is 12, you know, it's like, oh, okay, like I get 
why it's higher, yes, but still 17 to me isn't 50%, it isn't 60%. And yet when I read articles online, it makes people feel defeated. And these people are already pregnant and we need to support them. And we also can have a big conversation about preconception, health and support and treating people with compassion too. And and I don't want to continue to share really alarming things, but I've also had people share with me that their care providers talk to them about termination just based on their BMI. And that is horrifying oh, to me. Are you? Oh, that's terrible. Yes. I mean, that, I mean, I believe that that's a personal choice, but that is yes. not a reason to end a practice. Like that's not, yeah. I, there are some serious medical conditions where it puts a mom's life at risk. Absolutely. And even, and even then it's a discussion, but e- I, 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 I'm kind of like, I, I'm, I'm speechless, literally. I, that's awful. Yeah. And, and, and I haven't heard that very often. It's been like two or three times. Still, but I'm sorry, that's two, two or three, three times, times too many. Too many. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So I, I'm not trying to sensationalize it. Sure. I'm just saying like when, when we're working with people who are pregnant, they are pregnant. And we need to empower them to be as healthy as possible. And how do we do that? We do that by showing them compassion and not being afraid about talking about the evidence, but talking about it in a way that empowers them to change, possibly change, like for me, change my relationship with food. Fine, I had never tried water aerobics before getting pregnant, like, <laughs> and now I, I love it. And all the all the ways that I have changed my relationship with, I, you know, I, there's a meme that I made, um, you know, I, I exercise because I love my body and not because I hate it. Because for most of my life, I thought I had to be physically active to lose weight. I didn't think about all the other incredible benefits that come along with being physically active. So changing those mindsets changes people's, can change, possibly change people's lives and change their children's lives and create a healthier community. Does that mean that people are all of a sudden going to lose a bunch of weight? No. And I don't think that that should ever be our focus. I think our focus should be health and not a number on the scale or a number on the BMI chart, because there are a multitude of reasons. And we could talk about PCOS and we can talk about so many other reasons why sometimes people of size are people of size. And so we really need to meet people with compassion. We also have seen some studies that, you know, people of size, a higher greater risk of people have a history with sexual assault. So when it comes to that behind closed doors, experiences with care providers, if someone has a history of sexual assault and they're working with a care provider that already makes them feel really uncomfortable and scared, it just compounds their history of trauma and can lead to birth trauma, which can lead to postpartum depression, which can lead to so much. And at the end of the day, all I'm asking is that we meet people with compassion and provide individualized care. Yes. I mean, that's, and it's not that hard. (laughs) Like we need to just stop. You know, what we do is we, we see a person of size and I mean, I'm, I'm just going to be really honest here. I think what happens is providers look at them and they, they automatically write them off. They say they have no willpower. They have no control. They must just sit around and eat constantly. They come up with these terrible things. And I'm not saying I think that. I'm just saying that I think this is what comes into people's mind. And that happens in society in general, those horrible assumptions, even though we know that weight is very complex, actually, and what contributes to the things that 
in, a person ending up to be a certain weight. And then we just write people off and we don't even give people a chance. And it's like, you're saying, just start with compassion. Stop writing people off from the first second you meet them and then actually do something to empower them. Like <laughs> that's it. Yeah. And, and from your personal experience, and I'm sure working with your colleagues and, you know, medical school, like you've heard the bias, right, mm -hmm. from care providers. And, and we have studies to show that. So there was a study done and it showed that more than 50% of physicians viewed obese patients as awkward, unattractive, ugly, and non-compliant. And I think that non-compliant piece is accurate because if I'm walking into a care provider with a history of being mistreated based solely upon my size, yes, often my defenses are up. They are. And that's why we have to work together to build that trust because maternity care should be a mutual two-way street. There needs to be a lot of informed consent, a lot of sometimes difficult conversations, but it has to have that foundation of trust and respect and compassion because we're both working for the same exact outcome. Healthy mom, healthy pregnant person, healthy baby. That is what we all want. 100%. And for us as care providers, it's also an opportunity, like you said, like you didn't know some things before pregnancy that you learned during pregnancy that have since carried on into your life and oh, afterwards, yeah. you know, in your, and your children's life, life. So Absolutely. like, it's just, it's, it's just such a missed opportunity and we have so much room to improve and, and do better with this. Yes. Yes. All of us, all of us. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, as we wrap up, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about this initiative that you were involved in with the NIH. Um, for those who don't know, the NIH is the National Institutes of Health, and it is the premier organization for health in our, our country and research and guidelines and all those kinds of things. It was called Pregnancy for Everybody. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. When um, I got the email from NIH in um I think it was at the end of 2016 that they wanted to talk to me. I, we set up this conference call and we started talking and I started crying and I'm like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I know that this is like so unprofessional, but, and I, I gosh, I'm choking up right now. You have to understand like to have a, a major organization want to hear the consumer perspective sure. of what it is like to be plus size and pregnant that was such a massive shift because you know look at the mayo clinic and look at all these other ma big organizations look at their pages on obesity and pregnancy and it's relative risk it's all the increased risk and there's not information on how care providers can empower people and support people of size and how patients can be patients advocates and that doesn't that didn't really exist and so to have NIH realized here we are they were working on many different initiatives around maternal mental health and other big things and this was a massive collaboration of leaders in maternal health that are on this committee looking at things in our maternity health care and wanting to create shifts and make improvements and they flew me out to Maryland to speak on campus little old me with like all these leaders in midwifery and pediatricians right. and and I in that moment, I realized that that these people that I put on such high pedestals and I felt so like 
honor to be there. Like they brought me in as the expert to have this conversation as their guest. And it's so helped that I got that. They were like, wow, your dress is really pretty. (laughs) It just so helped me to normalize that here's this opportunity. And so when I was asked to speak, uh, they had this amazing podium with like all my slides set up. and, And I asked for a wireless mic because I wanted them to see my large body while I talked about the experiences of people of size during pregnancy. And at at one point, I even like grabbed a chair because the chairs around the massive boardroom table with all these fancy mics. Um, It didn't, it didn't really work for me. It really didn't. So they were so kind and brought me a different one. But I I brought the chair with arms, and I put it in the middle of the stage area. and, And I sat in it. And I showed how my body was really uncomfortable and overflowed and that it hurt. And I, none of that was prepared. I, I had a presentation prepared, but I just knew that this was this opportunity that I could make uh, everything that I'd worked with so hard for so many years, the opportunity to get in front of leaders in maternal health and say all the things that I've said to you during our time together and to really create change. And, and it was so like an amazing experience in ACOG spoke after me and they were saying, now I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say people with obesity or not obesity. <laughs> so I was like, and as Jen said, and I was like, the ACOG speaker just said my name. Like, <laughs> so it just felt like this, this, like I was, I was heard, but it wasn't me. It was the thousands upon thousands of thousands. Like I have 178,000 people on Facebook that are a part of my community. It was, it was all of them that I carried with me and said, we all want the same thing, right? I've said this time and time again, like we all want a healthy outcome. We just, we get there in different ways and and we need to get there from the foundation of, of compassion and changing how we treat people. And so then this was, I spoke in January of 2017, the initiative didn't drop until the end of 2019. We, 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 we continued to have these conference calls and, and they did focus groups around language. And it was so beautiful how, what came out of me speaking about the consumer perspective, it was, it was incredible. And, and then when they came out with the name pregnancy for everybody, I about like dropped my cell phone when I was reading it. I was like, whoa, how do we go from this obesity initiative to pregnancy for everybody? It was like, what is, it was so, so incredible. And um, yeah, and then that it really is an initiative to educate plus size people about their, their healthcare and also um, healthcare providers and how they can best support people of size. And it was, it's just, it's incredible. And it, Unfortunately, it, it landed right around Thanksgiving and, and then COVID hit. So yeah. we haven't been able to do a, a, as much as we had originally hoped to, that I wanted to help them with promotions. But um, I think we'll get back together. There are some things that are really incredibly important that we all need to be focusing right now around Black maternal health and prioritize that. Absolutely. Um, but when we're ready, like I, I want to get back together and collaborate more and really push this initiative because it's so, so important that we are putting out resources to care providers that just simply talk about, hey, maybe don't use the word obese when talking to your, your patients of size. Sure, sure, sure. And I hate to think that it has to be an either or. I think we can work on things um, 
you know, simultaneously. And I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, once things kind of settle down, cause right now, Lord, it's crazy right now. Jeez. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that you'll be able to do some of the promotion things and all of that good, great stuff. And you mentioned you have a huge following on Facebook. I'm going to ask you in a minute where people can find you. But the last question I want to ask is what is your very favorite piece of advice that you like to give to expectant moms? Oh, I think, you know, we can say for people of all sizes that you just deserve to work with a care provider that treats you with compassion and dignity and that empowers you to believe that your body can have a healthy outcome. And if there are risks that you incur along the way that they can empower you to make the healthy evidence-based choices throughout your decision-making process. So for people of size, that is a size-friendly care provider. If you want a VBAC, that's a VBAC supportive care provider. You need to find someone who who believes in your body's ability. And I think that that is so, so incredibly important. And it is a game changer in the outcomes for people of size. So connecting with someone and and knowing that you have to be your own best advocate. And like we said earlier, you're going to advocate for your kids. You're going to spend forever finding that right pediatrician for your kids. And you need to do the same for yourself because you are so worthy. 100 percent, 100 percent. And this and I know I just said that was going to be the last question, but this just popped up in my mind. I know that I've seen as I and I personally have evolved as a provider. And I believe that our hospital based birth has evolved and we've, we obviously still have work to do, but we've made progress. I'm curious what you've seen over the course of your work. Do you feel like we're doing any better or is it still about the same? And we, we just need to kind of, you know, get going with this. What is, what has your experience been with women over the course of your work? It has been beautiful to finally see a shift. And that shift really hasn't happened until the last like two years. And that we're seeing a shift in care providers. We're seeing a shift in being handed a gown that fits someone's body instead of two gowns that don't fit your body at all, right? And you can wear one in the front and one in the back. Like we're seeing a shift in meeting people where they're at. We're seeing a shift in doulas talking about how they're size friendly and promoting their services as being size inclusive. And doulas are really the gatekeepers to their community. So they know who the size friendly OBs and midwives are. And that's so important that doulas are doing their own work on their biases too. So we're seeing this wonderful shift. With that said, <laughs> there's still, there's still so work to do. much work yeah. to be done. I mean, yeah. really, that NIH initiative is one of the very few websites that even don't just talk. Most websites just talk about increased risk for people of size and not how people can have healthy outcomes. So, so there's so much more work that needs to be done, but it has been amazing. I mean, when I started this work, Instagram didn't exist, right? So oh, it, it took wow, forever yeah. for me to find images of people of size who were pregnant. And right. so when I started my work, it was so important to me that people could come to my website and see someone who they identified with. So whether they were white, black, you know, whether they were in a relationship in a same sex couple or, you know, whatever, I wanted them to know that they could see themselves because that there wasn't that 
out there in the world. And now it's so beautiful to just pull up the hashtag plus size pregnancy. And there are over 45,000 images of people who all look different and have different abilities. And it is so beautiful because you know that it's normal. And I think that's so much of what I want to do. And I know that makes some people cringe, but just normalize plus size pregnancy that yes, you can be pregnant at any size and then let's work to help you have a healthy outcome. And if if you don't see people that look like you represented, then you feel that there is something wrong with your body. And when you feel that way, you doubt your body's ability. And it just goes so much to say that one image can have such a great impact and to see yourself and to know, hey, my belly might look more like a B than a D. And you know, when I give talks, <laughs> I, I show these pictures of pregnancy magazines that are primarily thin Caucasian women. And that's so far from the reality of what it looks like to be pregnant. And I hope that we continue to see this shift in what it looks like to be pregnant so everyone feels represented and that way everyone feels empowered to advocate for themselves in the best interest of themselves and their pregnancies. Love it, love it, love it. That's a beautiful way to end. So where can people find you? Sure, for all things plus size pregnancy from trying to conceive to pregnancy, birth and postpartum, it's plussizebirth.com. There I have my book, The My Plus Size Pregnancy Guide. There's also an audio book for those of us that are so busy. Um, and it walks you through everything you could want to know about being plus size and pregnant. I also have that free guide on how to connect with a size-friendly care provider. And then I, my kid is 10 now. So while plus size pregnancy will always be my baby, my, my other baby, <laughs> I like to talk about motherhood. I like to talk about fat advocacy. I like to talk about body love and body image. And so uh, plus mommy is where you can find me like my main Facebook and Instagram at plus mommy. I also do have Instagram at plus size birth because that's so important. Um, but I have a plus mommy podcast, which is I, I would love to have you on um, that really dives oh, into you. so many different topics. And the, the tagline is from bumps to bellies. We talk about it all. <laughs> so um, <laughs> you can find me just where you're the same place you're listening to this podcast too. Awesome. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on and for educating us all, myself included. I so appreciate your time, Jen. Uh, I appreciate your work so much, Nicole. Thank you so much for everything you do and for having me on your great show. Wasn't that a great episode? I so thoroughly enjoyed that conversation with Jen. Her energy and passion for her work really shines through, and I'm grateful that she was able to come onto the podcast and share some of her knowledge with us today. Now, you know that after every episode, I have something called Nicole's Notes, where I talk about my top three or four takeaways from the episode. So here are Nicole's notes from my conversation with Jen. All right, number one, Although you have increased risk if you are a person of size, number one, it doesn't automatically mean that you will have problems. And in most cases, you actually will not have problems. We need to do a better job of focusing on the positive aspects. And then number two, there's a lot that you can do 
to help mitigate the risk associated with being a person of size and pregnant. You can move your body more. You can work with the right provider. You can see a nutritionist. As Jen mentioned, ACOG, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, who sets standards of care for obstetrics in the U.S., recommends that people of size should automatically see a nutritionist during their pregnancy. So there are things that you can do to help mitigate that risk. It is not automatic that you are going to have problems during your pregnancy just because of your weight. Number two, everyone deserves evidence-based compassionate care. I know that should not have to be said, but it does. Everyone deserves evidence-based compassionate care. As Jen mentioned, it's not so much the outcome of the birth. Like, don't get me wrong. Like people have a certain outcome that they want and desire for their birth, but really it's how you are treated at the end of the day in terms of how you feel about your birth experience. And everyone deserves to be treated with compassion, to be treated with dignity, to be treated with respect and receive care that is based on evidence, not myths, not made up things like you automatically have to have a C-section because of your size or that your vagina is too fat. That was just crazy. That's absolutely ridiculous. So everyone deserves evidence-based compassionate care. And then the final thing, everyone wants a healthy mom and a healthy baby. And we need to work with people and give them the tools and information to help them do that, to help them be healthy and help them have a healthy baby. There's this sort of myth, I think, or big misperception that somehow people of size don't care about their health. And that's not true. It's just that it can be hard to maintain weight. It is not an easy thing to do. And instead of writing people off, we need to help them as best as we can because everyone, again, wants a healthy mom and a healthy baby. All right, so that is it for this episode of the podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you're listening to me right now. And of course, I'd love it if you leave an honest review in Apple Podcast. It so helps the show to grow. It helps other women find the show. And I do shout outs on episodes from those reviews. And I wanna ask, are you plus size and pregnant? How has your experience gone for you? I would love for you to share your experience in the All About Pregnancy and Birth Facebook group. This is a free community on Facebook of supportive moms, great place to be. And it's run by my community manager, Keisha, who is an experienced doula. I'm in the group a bit as well, but really the best part of the group is being able to connect with other pregnant mamas just like you. So I would love to hear your experience with being plus size and pregnant in the group. Now, next week on the podcast, it is a birth story episode. So of course, I'd love for you to come on back next week. And until then, I wish you a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. Head to my website, ncrcoaching.com to get even more great info, including free downloadable resources on how to manage pain and labor and warning signs to look out for after birth. You'll also find information on my free online class on how to make a birth plan, as well as everything you need to know about the birth preparation course. Again, that's ncrcoaching.com and I will see you next week.